Hey, welcome to Hindsight, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons hidden within. <laughs> Look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the Podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from the in hindsight. Yesterday and your tomorrow in hindsight is so much clearer now. This is Hindsight the Podcast, and introducing your host, Lee Jones. Welcome back to another episode of Hindsight the Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and today I'll be talking with published author, cancer survivor, podcast co-host on Savaged Unfiltered, vlogger, blogger, and so much more, Joseph Lennard. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, <laughs> I know that's it, a lot. It's actually Joseph M. Leonard. It looks French. But it's not Leonard, it's Leonard without an O. Uh, and I have to use my middle initial, Joseph M. Leonard, because there is a Joseph Leonard out of South Carolina. Uh-oh. Also an author. So, you know, and we we both have some Christian books. So we gotta be careful to not confuse each other. Uh, you know, uh and also, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Hopefully, we'll deal in a little hindsight and a little <laughs> foresight. And since my phone's been ringing off the hook today, of course, a whole lot of spam calls I didn't want. The people I'm waiting for for return phone calls, of course, haven't called me, but <laughs> I unplugged the phone. <laughs> so hopefully my cell phone, though, won't ring. I didn't turn that off. And then the, uh, uh, oh, I forgot the other thing I was going to joke with you about. Uh, oh, well, it'll come to me later because I, I usually like to try to start off with you know, some joking around. Things are so serious. We, oh, we've got yeah. to make sure we keep a sense of humor, right? Absolutely. Joseph's insights are as diverse as his experiences. He's the author of Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You, a groundbreaking work that intricately brin, uh, blends historical fiction and real life events to paint a vivid picture of life, hope and resilience amidst adversity. And as the author of How to Write a Book and Get It Published, Hints, Tips, and Techniques, Joseph assists aspiring authors by unlocking the art of effective writing and publishing. Joseph's words transcends mere storytelling. They encompass themes of politics, religion, socioculture, dynamics, and even human spirits triumph over challenges like PTSD and survivor's guilt. That is a lot. Hey, Joseph, how you doing, man? <laughs> Well, like I say, I've been saying for decades, I should say. So I decided to have my character, Martin, say it in Terror Strikes Coming Soon to the City of You. Remember, it could always be better, 
but it could often be worse. Right? Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to whine and moan and complain too much, I remind myself <laughs> of that. And yeah, two things. One thing about the how to write a book and get it published, hints, tips, and techniques right off the bat. Uh, someone in your audience probably has a book in them. So that's for them. But also, maybe you don't have a book you want to write and publish. Well, you can think of how to write a book and get it published, hints, tips, and techniques as a tell-all without any Kardashians named. <laughs> it's kind of a, you could think of it as a behind the scenes. If, if you like to read and you've got a bookshelf full of books, what did an author go through to get that book available for you to buy and read and put on your bookshelf? So it's kind of a dual purpose book. As my friend Ed Temple says of the book, it's written more like a novel than a self-help guide. And that is, of course, on purpose so that it's not a dry, technical self-help book. It, it serves that dual purpose. Absolutely. Wow. So we'll just jump right into it. You talked about it. Well, this is Hindsight the Podcast, right? So we want to dive a little bit back before we get into the man that you are today. And you've worn many hats from author to cancer survivor, blogger and co-host. Can you share a bit about your upbringing and how your childhood experiences shape your diverse interests? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is to mention my father, uh, Thaddeus M. Leonard Jr., also known as Ted Leonard Jr., who was the founder of Ted Leonard Jr. and the Polka Kings. So his father also had a polka band. I dabbled in music in the 70s and 80s, but no, I didn't play the accordion. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't dabble in polka music. I played guitar, drums, keyboards. So I dabbled in music, but I got my creative genes from my dad's side of the family is why I kind of mention him. And since music didn't work for me then, I just kept writing other things, you know, poems, short stories, novels. Uh, I, I'm the holder of more than three dozen copyrighted items. I have a trademark for Christitutionalist, a term I just created. Uh, I now not just co-host Savage Unfiltered, I now host my own show, Constitutionalist politics, obviously Christian, U.S. Constitution-based politics, uh, you know, but that's kind of an aside. And I, I, I just got done putting my next book, Constitutionalist politics, together for Amazon should go up over the next couple of weeks based on the podcast. So, yeah, I got a lot of irons in the fire, but, yeah, I've got more than three dozen copyrights. Only three now will be internationally published. My first internationally published and worldwide availability is with Terror Strikes coming soon to a city near you. And then, like with you, thank you again for having me on, talking about terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. A lot of times... Uh, hosts would say, why don't you come back and just talk about the writing and publishing process in general? 
So after doing a dozen of those interviews, I went on to Amazon and sure enough, I mean, there's a bazillion books about how to upload your book to Amazon and use KDP services. But there's no book that goes from concept to writing to publishing options and then what afterwards, marketing and promotion, what to expect from reviews, things like that. So I wrote How to Write a Book and Get It Published, Hints, Tips, and Techniques, my second international book, so that people would have an opportunity to have that whole beginning to end of the process if they're interested in writing. And also, as I said, even if you're not interested in publishing your own book, what does an author go through to get a book in your hands? It's a very different and interesting read, a different concept, something no one else that I'm aware of really thought of for avid readers to get that behind-the-scenes insight. And then, like I said, uh, my third internationally available book soon by the end of the month will be Constitutionalist Politics. Well, let's let's so let's talk about one of them. Let's talk about terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. Uh, can you tell me about the inspiration behind this unique blend of historical fiction and real life events? Yeah, I call it faction because it's part fact, part fiction, right? A faction, right. A okay, fact fiction blend. Uh, I felt the historical aspects helped lend credence to the fictional story and the fictional story make the historical aspects less dry because with the Wuhan hysteria, a lot of people seem to have fallen into this uh, notion that uh, terrorists maybe like took their AK-47s and turned them into plowshares. Uh, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, just because you're not seeing terrorism on your nightly news doesn't mean it isn't still happening. And the other thing is of importance, and you kind of spoke to this, is yes, it's a book about terrorism. That's the thread that holds it together. But it's about really a lot more than that. Uh, we follow Martin, who's a Detroit newspaper man. And even though it's U.S. centric that the book takes place, it's an international issue. There's a chapter on Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Madrid, Spain, London, England, and Tokyo, Japan to make that point that terrorism to a U.S. person doesn't just mean 9-11. And as we follow Martin, who is writing a book on terrorism, it's not really just about terrorism, and it's definitely not a book about death, but life and living. Life over death, hope over fear, faith over despair, love over hate, good over evil, politics, individualism over collectivism, freedom over tyranny, family and friends life in general right. and uh, going back to hope over fear it's kind of both figurative and literal because martin's wife's name is hope to kind of make that point right. about being about hope excellent excellent wow 
I appreciate that. And, you know, you touched on all of your books. So beyond your grip in fiction, uh, you talked a little bit about why you did how to write a book and get it published, hence tips and techniques. Um, but your book offers insights into improving writing and achieving publication success. But can you share a memorable turning point in your in your own writing career when you realized your experiences could help others navigate the complexities of the publishing world? Yeah. Oh, well, what I like to say, Billy Idol, if there's any fans of Billy Idol out there, <laughs> affirmed my writing abilities. And what I mean by that is I, I've never spoken to Billy Idol directly. So I'm talking indirectly here. Although I've reached out to him, I've never been able to get through to him or his PR agent or any of the people like that. Because in 1984, I wrote a radio play, CJOM, across the river, Windsor, Ontario, Canada, had a contest where they'd have a song of the week, and you'd write a short radio play intro. And that week was Billy Idol's Eyes Without a Face. So I wrote, I reimagined the Eyes Without a Face song. And I called my radio play The Adventures of Detective Idol. I spelled it I-D-L-E just so it wasn't exact to I-D-O-L. Uh, and I won. <laughs> so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that kind of, you know, affirmed my writing abilities and knew, hey, obviously I have something here good enough that against, a th you know, thousands of entries, they picked me that this was good to make the radio play for that intro. Because I, I know the story that Billy Idol has told behind that song. It's based on an old black and white horror film uh, where an evil doctor is removing people's faces. Hence, mm. eyes without a face. But right. I reimagine it as a drug deal gone bad. And... Uh, you could check that out at terrorstrikes.info slash Billy Idol. Terrorstrikes.info slash Billy Idol. You could see the original typed 1984. I, I typed it on a typewriter <laughs> to send the copy into the copyright office. <laughs> right, right. As well Billy as Idol. hear me read it. All right. Rebel yell. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of Billy Idol. Absolutely. <laughs> In your work, you touch on a range of topics from politics and religion to PTSD and survivor's guilt. How do you balance the weight of these themes while delivering compelling narratives for your readers? Yeah, well, part of the reason... I felt terror strikes coming soon to sitting near you had to be my first internationally released book rather than just released locally uh, was those additional themes, the importance of suicide prevention, uh, not just soldiers suffering PTSD, but those who survive terrorism often have survivor's guilt. You know, why? Why did all those people die on 9-11, but yet I got out of the building? Or all those people were shot, yet I survived. And they, they struggle with their own form of PTSD with that. So I felt it 
important to be able to work that theme in. And uh, a lot of my inspiration comes from dreams. Uh, most of my books are written based on a dream. And Terror Strikes is no exception. It came to me in a dream. And, I, you know, just all these flood of thoughts, all those things, the life over death, hope over fear, and on that I said before, I won't repeat them all. Like you said, the PTSD, suicide prevention, just felt compelled that I needed to get that out there for hopefully someone who needs to hear it. And, you know, because I'm, I'm not trying to sell fear porn, right? You want fear porn? Put on your nightly news, right? They're constantly selling fear. Wuhan hysteria. For three years, we went through nothing but fear, 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 fear. I'm trying to sell hope, not fear porn. And it's not a, you know, Rambo kind of blood and gut shoot them up. It's, it's an intellectual endeavor. In fact, uh, there hopefully is something in that book that will upset everyone. Because, again, I call it faction. So we're dealing with uh, fictional characters, although some are real in the book, too, of course. But the fictional characters engage in artificial stances. Just because I say something in the book doesn't mean it's verbatim what I believe. You know what I mean? There's something in there, hopefully, to piss off everybody. <laughs> because at the bottom of my terrorstrikes.info book site, there's a warning. Many deem my book controversial and upsetting. It's meant to be. Meant to make people think. Challenge, challenge one own and others' intentions, motives, own morality, and mortality. So it's meant to upset people in some way, shape, or form at some point in the book so that we question, okay, I believe this. Why do I believe this? Is it based on reality or some unicorn fart delusion uh, of, of a bubble I'm living in, you know, that isn't yeah. really reality. Yeah. That, <laughs> that needs to be written. Um, and just going off script a little bit, uh, just hearing the, the topics and the justification and the reasoning on how you've written it and why you've written it is encouraging and, and inspiring because a lot of people, you know what you know, right. And you're in this bubble. And that's what you believe is fact. So to be able to present in a written form and medium an opportunity to go beyond that and to question, why do I even think like that, right, is is an opportunity for people to grow. So As I applaud you. As the saying goes, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. You are not, however, entitled to your own set of facts. Right? Yes, there you Is go. your opinion based on logic, reason, and things that are real or just it's because I feel that way. You know, right. I prefer yeah. that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things we would prefer, but we have to work to make them how we prefer them to be while staying rooted in the way things actually are now till we get there. Right. 
So your books touch on themes, and we, we've said it over and over, on life and hope and resilience in the face of adversity. Um, how do you think, and you can go as deep into this or as less as you want, but how do you think your own journey as a cancer survivor has influenced your storytelling approach? Well, it, it hasn't to the degree of the books I've written thus far, but I do have a project tentatively titled Living Hell that will involve that aspect of my life in some way, shape, or form, whether my cancer or a cancer in general about a person who is indeed having a rough time in life. Like at the beginning, I joked about, remember, things could always be better but they could often be worse. And that's true of everybody. And, and my terror strikes that info slash quotes page. I mm-hmm. talk about uh, Martin laments about how so many people have it so well in our nation, but yet they hate the very nation that affords them everything they have. You know, you've heard the term first world problems, right? There are a whole lot of people in our own country that have things all a lot worse off than we do, let alone those third world nations where they, they you know, no toilets, no electricity, no, you know. Uh, so before we start whining about how bad things are, I mean, get a sense of perspective and, right, get over ourselves. I agree. First world, you know, I say that myself. First yeah, world problems. You know, that's a great saying. I, I don't know who coined it, but yeah, I mean that I mean that's spot on. It really is. A lot of these people constantly moaning and whining and virtue signaling online about all these first world problems. You know, whole lot of people have it worse off uh, other places. Whole lot of people look at San Francisco. The hellhole it's become now, all the people struggling in the streets there, let alone it looking like a third world country nowadays, right. downtown wow. San Francisco. I wouldn't go there if you paid me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And, and like you said, I don't know who coined the phrase either, but it definitely, when you say it, it's almost like you're you're trying to gain that perspective. Like, why am I complaining about this? This is really not that bad an issue, right? It's a it's a trigger for you to gain perspective on yes. what you're complaining about. So well a lot of whole whole lot of people unfortunately have mm-hmm. self-esteem problems. So in order to feel good about themselves, they've got to complain about what other people are doing or not doing that they think they should. It's a deflection tactic. Yeah. And, when we should be looking at ourselves and not to make this a, a religious thing, because again, terror strikes coming soon to a city near you uh, talks about atheists too. I mean, you can be moral and atheist. You don't have to be religious based, but uh, one of my favorite singers is Rick Springfield. And no, I'm not talking about Jesse's girl. I think that's the worst song he ever damn did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a song from the Karma album, 
called Prayer. It's kind of his Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's man in the mirror. Prayer. I send a prayer to heaven to be a better man than the man I see. How about we focus on ourselves, improve ourselves so we can help others and indeed do that. How about we help others rather than demanding everybody else do it? Get off your couch, get off your butt, you know, volunteer for a charity, help out. Don't expect the government to do everything. Call to action. I love it. Amen, brother. (laughs) (laughs) We are to be our brother's keeper. That does not mean render unto Caesar your charitable duty. It is a personal commandment to be charitable, not let Steve, not let the government steal from Steve to give to Eve and pretend you did anything. You didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good insight. Hey, I I love it. I love it. But we're going to move beyond your books just a little bit. And you're also a podcast co-host and a host of the, what was the new one you're doing now? Institutionalist politics. Obviously, it's mainly a Christian-based or Messianic Jew. Also, anyone who's a follower of Christ. Right. So I, I hesitant to use Christian there because Messianic Jews also are followers of Jesus. But I coined it mainly to bring in fellow Christians. Uh, but again, terror strikes coming soon to a city near <laughs> you is not meant to be just for a fellow Christians. This right. show just happens to be. And my next book just happens to be. Like you said, you know, diversification. I'm trying to diversify and and do a lot of different things. One of my books before I may redo is called The Gestapo Kidnap File, and it has nothing to do with World War II. It's about a kidnapping on Halloween. So obviously there's no, you know, there's no uh, real religion or politics involved there. But the only reason religion and politics are involved in terror strikes is because it has to be. In order to be an honest book on terrorism, the stated goals of a lot of those who want to kill us are religious in nature or political in nature. So in order to do an honest book, those things have to be in there. But I try not to beat people over the head and beat people to death with that uh, to get it lost in the story again about, you know, life over death, hope over fear, faith over despair, love over hate, good over evil, individualism over collectivism, freedom over tyranny, and a big part, family and friends, right? Our circle that we care about. It's about caring, not hate, not death, not destruction, not blood and guts. Right. So back to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So how does the podcasts uh, with, with an S at the end allow you to explore ideas and engage with audiences in a way that complements your writing journey? Yeah, well. 
the reason I, there's a, been a lot of influences in my life. Obviously, I mentioned my father. Uh, another is Ronald Reagan. Uh, he said, don't bring anything to me that's left or right, liberal or conservative, you know, Democrat or Republican. I want everything on an up-down paradigm. Does it lift up we the people or does it empower the government? I want more things that lift we the people, less that less in production of things that empower the deep state, the government. Another is Dennis Prager, who said there's a big difference between a classical liberal like a Brandon Strzok or a Candace Owens and a full-on stereotypical ultra-leftist. So I thought in that terms, you know, because if you say I'm a conservative, that immediately stereotypical, a lot of people get triggered and engage in stereotypes and tropes, mm -hmm. right? So right. I coined constitutionalist. So no matter where you think you are in the political spectrum, if you're a real Christian, you take the Bible in context. You don't take render unto Caesar out of context because Jesus was not a socialist. And separation of church and state is not in our founding documents. It was a letter from Jefferson responding to someone that there shall be no official Church of England here mm -hmm. in the United States. There will be no federal church. But that does not mean separation from church to state or freedom from religion. So I, to me, constitutionalists allows more of us to come together within the confines of the Bible and what are things biblically. Because unlike Matthew, uh, people often quote, judge not lest ye be judged. That's not the whole scripture. Try reading the rest of the sentence, you know, and also try reading the other two dozen passages that talk about judging biblically, not being a hypocrite, uh, one set of standards, not a set of standards for you and a different set of standards for somebody else. To judge all, including oneself, biblically and to vote biblically. So that constitutionalist uh, <laughs> just came to me and made sense to try to bring Christians together Whereas so many Saul Alinsky style are trying to, you know, ad hominem divide and conquer. Wow. So we're getting call to actions. We're getting some historical lessons and some, uh, some, some, uh, some lessons on the constitution and the meanings and the Bible. I love it. <laughs> like this is, I mean, this is real talk. Like these are things you you take little pieces of things and create your own reality, and you talk based on facts and and uh, what was the other one? You, what you believe and what are facts? Um, yeah. So so you using your podcast, you using your books to kind of expose some of these things and you know get people thinking. You know, right the ship a little bit is is admirable. Yeah, I don't care if you're on the left. I don't care if you're on the right. I want everyone. 
right. everyone to question themselves, like the warning says, meant to make people think, challenge one's own, as well as others, intentions, motives, own morality, and mortality. Because you know the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't give a rat patootie what your intention <laughs> is. What did you do? You shall be known by your fruits. If you're sowing rotten fruit, I don't care if your intention was good. It's rotten fruit. <laughs> Not a patootie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, hey, look, your perspectives resonate. I love I love asking you these questions because these answers are amazing. But your perspectives. Yeah, well, we've kind of turned into a, I, I you know, I, I hate to sound like I'm preaching a sermon here, like we've seen to gone down the road now. <laughs> I don't mean to do that. I, I, I am not here to attempt to push my faith on anyone or those of no faith at all. Like, yeah. In Constitutionalist Politics, the book, I talk about Penn of Penn and Teller fame. I love their magic. He's world-renowned atheist, right? Right. He, but he understands morality is common sense. You don't have to be religious to understand, I don't murder you, you don't murder me. Right. <laughs> you, you don't steal my stuff. I don't get to steal your stuff. That's, you know, even though uh, most of our laws are based on biblical standards, uh, you don't have to be religious to understand that's common sense. Right. Uh, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Again, that doesn't have to be taken as a religious tenet. It's just common sense. Be nice. Others be nice to you. <laughs> there it is. Could you tell me about an instance when your diverse experiences, be it as an author, a survivor, or a podcast host, converged to create a unique and an unexpected perspective? That's a deep question. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and what I think I probably have to think about for a while, I'm, I'm sure I could come up with an answer for that, but just not necessarily off the top of my head. Uh, but, I, I, well, let me go back to Penn of Penn and Teller. Okay. I, you know, that perspective, again, you don't have to have faith to understand you shouldn't want to kill somebody else because they got have no right to kill you either. I mean, that perspective from a non-religious point is an important perspective for people to understand because, you know, I get it. Um, religions, the traditional religions are kind of waning. Uh, and in part, that's on purpose. I mean, there's a lot of people in government, who want to be God, who think they're God. It's about their power and control over others. And if you answer to a higher authority, that's a problem. So they don't want religion in society. They want to worshiping government. 
True. And it's been a lasting problem <laughs> throughout history, unfortunately. Um, and it seems to be rearing its big, ugly head. Well, it's part of human nature. It's I mean, part of human nature. Yeah. Human nature is uh, generally to, you know, get comfortable, be complacent, get a little lazy, and let things get out of control because, hey, you know, I'd rather be watching the football game. I'd rather be watching The Bachelor, which has nothing whatsoever to do with reality, even though they call it a reality show. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, we prefer the more comfortable things. Some of these things are difficult. Yeah. You know, they're, they're heavy. They weigh on us, and we prefer to avoid them. And over time, that's where tyrants always take root take hold and take advantage. Nice. Reflecting, and we'll do some more hindsight here, reflecting back on your journey so far, what advice would you give your younger self, especially during times when your path wasn't quite as clear? Yeah, that's a good one too. I, I I'm, bang, wish, I'm banging them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're too deep. I need some dirt to fill in the hole. <laughs> Did you like that one? I've never heard that one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, because uh, again, you may, I mean, even Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You has <laughs> a comic relief chapter. No matter how serious things get, You've got to keep a sense of humor. Uh, can you re-ask me the question? I'm not trying to dodge it. Oh, no. Just what advice would you give to your oh, younger yes. self? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I wish I would have dreamt up the notion of, remember, things could always be better, but they could often be worse sooner in life. Uh, that's, you know, if nothing else people take away from Terror Strikes book, if you take away that and understand, indeed, first world problems versus real problems, it's like, uh, you know. Right. I got you. That is a great. That's a Yeah. Yeah. I filled yeah. in the hole a little there. <laughs> yeah. No, you did. And it left me kind of a little bit speechless so be, it, because, I mean, that's important. That's an amazing lesson. You know, that all of our younger selves, well, maybe not all. Some people probably had have had that. But a lot of us could use in a younger age, right, in making our decisions going forward. Yeah, so, when appreciate we're that. younger, we, we tend to run a lot on emotion. And, yeah. You know, and we, uh, as they say, with age comes wisdom, right? Right. Uh, and when you're younger, you, you, you feel infallible. And you feel unbreakable. And uh, those things are only temporary. We're living longer and longer and longer now. <laughs> That's true. And, and having more and more and more problems. <laughs> I know. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to go the opposite way, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like, like the saying sometimes, more money, uh -huh. more problems, right? Oh, even yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's true. Yeah. So look, as you continue to weave your experiences into your creative endeavors, 
What's on the horizon for Joseph M. Leonard? How do you see your various roles evolving? What legacy do you hope to leave behind? Well, I, I, I don't have it handy, but in my acknowledgments and dedications of my constitutionalist politics books that I'm putting the finishing touches on to get up to Amazon, uh, I, I talk about that in the acknowledgments and dedications about my father. Uh, I'm hoping, of course, that his legacy uh, lives on further than even just beyond his polka records that are still out there. <laughs> you can find Ted Letter Jr. in the Polka Kings records still nice. to this day. But, you know, my life legacy is about uh, expounding on his good legacy, a, a good person, a great father, a loving husband, you know, a, a kind person uh, to strangers in, in that. Nice. All right, man, you've been very uh, forthcoming and I appreciate that. So, Joseph, before we wrap it up, there, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners that we didn't get a chance to cover during this interview? I mentioned my website a couple times, uh, the book one, terrorstrikes.info. Uh -huh. I also have an author website that the publisher put up for me, Joseph M. Leonard. Again, it looks like Leonard, but it's not French. It's Leonard without an O, josephmleonard.us. <laughs> so there is that. And, of course, I hope if those in the audience that are Christians will check out my Constitutionalist podcast. It's, of course, a combination of Christian and Constitutionalist. Constitutionalist politics podcast can be found. It's housed on Buzzsprout, but, yeah, you can find it on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. I'm on 14 different platforms on my way, hopefully, to get to 20. So you should be able to find that virtually anywhere. Uh, if you are a Christian, please give that a listen and look for the Constitutionalist Politics book at the end of the month on Amazon. Oh, man. And there you have it. An incredible conversation with Joseph M. Leonard, a true multifaceted individual has, who has embraced life challenges and turned them into stories that inspire and empower. Joseph, your journey from diverse interests to becoming an author, blogger, uh, survivor and podcast host is a testament to the resilience and creativity. And I just want to thank you for joining me today. Yeah. I wanted to say one, yeah, one last thing is because uh, you, what you were saying triggered something very important back to the yeah. suicide prevention. Yeah. You don't know what tomorrow will bring until you carpe diem, right? Things may be seem dire today. Uh, but you don't know what tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade may bring. Uh, you know, I went from almost dying from cancer to being a number one Amazon bestseller. You, right. you don't know what tomorrow may bring. And it, it may not be that direct, right? I right. like to talk about uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie, because, I mean, everybody's seen that about a thousand times right yeah <laughs> clarence uh, shows george what life would have been like without him well 
that's a very overly dramatic movie, of course. You may not prevent a pharmacist from poisoning a child that would ruin so many people's lives. It won't be that dramatic, but there may be a whole lot of little things you don't understand, don't see, may not ever know about that make a difference in somebody else's life just by you being here just by sharing a smile to a stranger, potentially even. It's like the old Pantene commercial, right? They tell two friends, they tell two friends, they tell two yeah, friends. Yeah. Pretty soon it's a whole entire movement, right? Well, if you help someone who's down and may commit suicide to live, who then goes on to have a son or daughter that cures cancer, you had a small part in curing cancer. Mm. How's Isn't that, that for digging a deep hole? <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> no, I mean, people don't. It's perspective, right? You've used the term several times, right? People don't think about things in that fashion until it's presented to them. And then that light bulb can go on and say, oh, yeah, right, that makes sense. Again, you may not see it overtly. It doesn't mean your life doesn't have value and meaning. Great words of wisdom in a hell of a way to end <laughs> in this this conversation. Thanks for the PSA. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's an important thing. You know, I was, uh, you know, took pl- took part in some different um, events in June for uh, mental health awareness and things like that. Right? It's yeah. just it's just a growing, you know, problem or concern, I should say. Oh, again, the Wuhan hysteria. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Suicides are up because people are isolated. They purposefully were isolated during the lockdowns, and that hurt their mental health. We are social beings. We need to be out and be social. And since you joked about PSA, I'm a hockey fan. I used to play hockey growing up, played into high school, couldn't get, yeah. in, couldn't get a college scholarship or anything like that. Uh, okay. But the NHL, there are some teams that have a PSA called Embrace the Awkward. You know, it's a bunch of guys and gals standing around, uh, uh, you know, being awkward and a bit <laughs> embarrassed. And I don't know what to say, but I know something's up with you. You're different. Something's going on. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. And if I can't help you, I will help you get the help you need. Embrace mm. the awkward. Right. All righty. Um, this is easy to the listeners. I hope you found as much inspiration in Joseph's journey as I have. And stay tuned for more engaging conversations with fascinating individuals right here on Hindsight, the podcast. Remember, every story adds to our collective wisdom, helping us navigate the complexities of life with a little more clarity and purpose. Thank you for being a part of this journey with us. Until next time, this is Lee Jones signing off. Thanks again, Joseph. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, 
feedback or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode. Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned, stay curious, and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from. In hindsight, be yours today.